0: Let us pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord, amen. Our scripture reading this morning From the Old Testament will be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 658. Listen carefully for the word of the Lord. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seban in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life do not fear for i am with you i'll bring your offspring from the east and from the west i will gather you i will say to the north give them up and to the south do not withhold bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth everyone who is called by my name whom i created for my glory whom i formed and made The word of the Lord.
1: Our New Testament lesson on this Baptism of the Lord Sunday is the version of the baptism of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the third chapter. We'll read the 15th through 17th verses and the 21st and 22nd verses. So listen now for the word of God to the church. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so baptism by fire is one of those phrases that began as a biblical image but then took on much broader usage in the popular culture. Almost certainly the term originated originally uh, referred to um, this cryptic statement by John the Baptist that while he baptized with water, the Messiah who was coming would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Today, most baptisms by fire that we hear about seem to occur in business or corporate contexts, as when somebody is thrown immediately into a tough situation and has to work his or her way through it. Veterans of the armed services also speak of their baptisms by fire, their harrowing first experiences of hostile gunfire and the perils of battle. But generally speaking, the term has come to represent all kinds of circumstances. It represents any abrupt initiation into new and difficult circumstances or situations. The world actually seems to have had a much easier time finding meaning in this phrase than the church has had. Over the centuries, there's been a great deal of debate about what John really meant when he said that Jesus would baptize us with fire. Some interpret it as a reference to the fires of judgment. But I find more convincing the idea that fire represents an even greater kind of purification and cleansing. The prophet Malachi, for example, foretold of the time when the Lord would send a unique and powerful messenger. He writes, Who can endure the date of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. That's where John Calvin picked up the primary theologian of our tradition kind of understood baptism by fire in these terms. Those of us who follow Jesus, he wrote, find that the Holy Spirit, Spirit is, and I'm quoting here, persistently boiling away and burning up our vicious and inordinate desires. At the same time, Calvin continued, our baptism in Christ inflames our hearts with the love of God and zealous devotion. We're on fire in a good way for God, he said. So to Calvin, the fire represents not only the refining fire of purification, but also a joyful fire of devotion. And that which is in us, which is not holy, will be burned away. And at the end of the process, at the end of this refining process, only those parts of us that are founded on Christ will remain. So maybe John the baptizer thought that baptism by water was just a little too neat and a little too clean and gentle and easy. I think it's easy for us as Presbyterians to miss this symbolism of baptism because most of our baptisms involved the sprinkling of pre-warmed water on a beautiful little baby's soft and innocent head. But the theological meaning, the biblical meaning of baptism, is far from peaceful sometimes. Baptismal waters are linked with the waters of chaos in Genesis 1. It's linked with the violent, destructive flood of Noah. And all this suggests that the spiritual bath that we get is not always warm, and always gentle. In fact, as Presbyterians, we believe that baptism not only cleanses us from sin, but also calls us to a steadfast and determined quest for justice and righteousness. Righteousness that rolls down like a mighty stream, as Amos said. Baptism commissions us for service to others in the world. Baptism calls us to work for a world in which barriers of race and status and gender are overcome. These are words directly out of our book of order. We are called, we say, to seek reconciliation in the church and in the world in Jesus' name. And all of that is linked to our baptism. So maybe the prophet John, who was preparing the way for one whose sandals he was not worthy to untie, perhaps John wanted to impress upon the people that the kind of baptism that was coming would mean a whole lot more than a few minutes at the river and some wet clothes. Baptism by fire is not just a process by which uh, we are washed and cleansed, but a process that calls us into a completely new way of life. Well, I think we readily welcome the blessings of baptism, that cleansing from sin, the warm embrace we get into the family of God. We might be a little more resistant to the calling of baptism, the fact that baptism opens every door, every aspect of our life to God's refining and purifying touch. St. <clears throat> Augustine is a perfect example. As a teenager, Augustine was acting like every other teenager. He was investigating all kinds of thought systems. He was looking at philosophies. He was looking at other religions of the world. His mother was a devout Christian, and he was drawn to Christianity. Augustine found great appeal in it, and he was being attracted to it. But he was also being attracted to girls. He was a teenager. Both attractions were strong and later in life he actually wrote down and shared this fervent prayer that he prayed during his teenage years. He says, Lord, grant me chastity and self-control, but not yet. (laughs) In a more contemporary expression of this sentiment, cartoonist Tom Tapp drew an image of a modern baptism. The sacrament Is being given by immersion, meaning that the person is being completely submersed in the waters of baptism. So all we see in the cartoon is the upper torso of the pastor. He's up to his waist or higher in the water. His arms are actually below the surface of the water. He's holding down this person being baptized in the water. There is, however, just one other thing emerging from the water it's the hand of the person being baptized who is straining to hold his wallet so the water doesn't get to that. It can be a very scary thing to think that the water and the fire of baptism can reach and claim everything in our lives. And that, in a nutshell, was the challenge of the Christian church in Germany as Adolf Hitler came to power. A few weeks ago, I talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's important role in that chapter of the church's history. And in that Advent sermon, I did not mention a great deal about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's sermon. Time didn't allow it. It's a very very deep and wide story the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the church. And one of those things that I didn't have time to say was that as the Nazi regime began to do its most insidious and damaging assault, not only on the country of Germany and those around it, but also on the German church, Bonhoeffer was living in safety in the United States. And he could have very easily continued to make his theological arguments and his pleas from afar. And that is exactly what his friends and family back in Germany begged him to do. They wanted him to stay right where he was. But he came to realize that he could not resist or avoid the calling of his baptism. A baptism not only of water, but of fire. And in a moment of conviction, he sat down and he wrote this letter to his friend and colleague Reinhold Niebuhr. I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice from security. Bonhoeffer sealed that letter, and he put it in the mail, and then he boarded a ship bound for Nazi Germany. And as it turns out, that ship would be the very last scheduled steamer that would cross the Atlantic from the United States to Germany. And after it left the dock, transportation to Germany was severed completely as the United States prepared for full-scale war in Europe. Right after the sermon, we will speak together some words from the Declaration of Barman. It's one of our Presbyterian confessions. It was one that was actually born in Germany in this chapter of not only that nation's history, but the church's history. And it was penned and influenced by great minds like Niebuhr and Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth. And as we say those words together, we will recite together our shared belief and conviction that baptism represents, and I'm quoting here, God's mighty claim upon our whole life, that there are no areas of our lives which do not belong to Christ, that there are not, nor could there ever be, any aspects of our being that are not in need of cleansing and blessing by God's refining fire. Carson Brisson, my Hebrew professor in seminary, once told us a story about a former student who became a pastor in a kind of a rough and tumble part of eastern North Carolina. The members of his congregation were disadvantaged in all kinds of ways. Incomes were low, education levels were low, families were broken, the crime rate was astronomical. One afternoon, the pastor gets a call from a young man in his congregation whose honor had been insulted. I don't know how. I don't remember how. I don't know if our professor told us. It's not really important how. But this man's brother-in-law had somehow humiliated him and humiliated him publicly. And over the phone, the young man told his pastor that he had vowed revenge, that to defend his honor, he planned to shoot and kill his brother-in-law. Now, the young pastor knew that this was no empty threat, he quickly dropped what he was doing. He went out. He sought out the young man. He tried to calm him down. You can't shoot him, the pastor said. Why not, the man asked. He lied about me. He disrespected me. He made me look weak and, and little in front of my people. Tell me why I shouldn't pay him back. Is it because he's my brother-in-law? No, the pastor said, he is your brother-in-law. But that's not the reason. Is it because you think what he did to me was okay? No, said the pastor, I don't think what he did to you was okay. What he did to you was not okay, but that's not the reason. Is it because I'm supposed to just forget it and think that he's some sort of a good person? No, answered the pastor. From what I hear, he's not a very good person. But who he is or who he is not is not the reason. Will someone else shoot him for me? (laughs) (laughs) No, said the pastor. I don't think anyone will, and I hope no one does. That is not the reason. Then why? His anger was not subsiding at all. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't shoot him. And the only thing the pastor could think to say, and the only thing he really needed to say, Because you have been baptized, the pastor said. You were baptized not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that means that there is no part of you that does not belong to Christ. You cannot shoot your brother-in-law because you have to remember your baptism. Convinced or not, the young man did not shoot his brother-in-law, pastor and the young man went out, they got something to eat, and over a shared meal they talked about another way to go. Together they left that table and went to confront the brother-in-law, to tell him honestly about the wrong that he had done, the hurt that he had caused, to tell him that they did want things to be right with him again, and they thought that Christ wanted things to be right between them again. And to quote my professor, the living Christ who had eaten with them went with them. As I mentioned back in, August, in in advent, back in early December, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was ultimately imprisoned by the Nazis for his political and spiritual resistance of Hitler and the Third Reich. He would be murdered only days before his concentration camp was liberated by Allied forces. But he never lost the conviction and the resolve that had pushed him onto that steamer back to Germany. He never doubted that he had done what he had been called to do, the right thing for him to do, that as one baptized into Christ by water and spirit and fire, that God needed and expected him to commit the entirety of who he was, body and soul, not just to prayer, but to righteous action in Christ's name. Nearing the end of his life, he wrote these words to his family from his prison cell. Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all of this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and the call of God. Where are these responsible people? Those responsible people are those who have been baptized into Christ, who have not only been cleansed in the waters of righteousness, but also refined, also transformed for righteous service in the fiery forge of God's love. Thanks be to God for our baptisms by fire. Amen.